0: Come back, everyone, to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. Once again, your host, Drew Von Sayo, bringing you the latest with your Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Penguins, Pittsburgh Pirates, and more in one last brief 40-minute episode here for you. Now, starting right off with the Pirates, the biggest or one of the biggest storylines in Pittsburgh right now in that Brian Reynolds just three days ago agreeing with the team on an 8-year 106.75 million dollar contract club options for the year 2031 no opt out and a 6 team no trade clause included there the first 100 million plus dollar contract offered in Pittsburgh Pirates history and this is by far one of the most deserved contracts out there right now for anybody in baseball, but specifically Brian Reynolds as a result of his commitment and his dedication to the city of Pittsburgh. Reynolds has been absolutely incredible, both at the plate, in the field, 2021 National League All-Star, and to be rewarded in this manner is just truly remarkable. Now, that $106.75 million goes into effect after this season, so Reynolds will play this year on the 6.75 million dollar contract that he played, that he negotiated, rather, that is the 6.75. So then the after this season, the remaining 100 million is divided up over the next seven years, and of course the contract is more backloaded, meaning that the longer Reynolds stays in Pittsburgh, the more his salary will increase. However, it is important to make note of. You know, this is an eight-year deal, all in all. Seven, if you look at it, starting next season, running through 2030 with the club option for 20 or for 31, rather. Good lord, that doesn't even seem like a real a real year, but it'll be here before we know it. At this point, though, Brian Reynolds is 28 years old. That seven years is going to take him to about age 35, 36. And to just put that into perspective, that is right where, right around where McCutcheon, Carlos Santana, and the veteran group of this Pittsburgh Pirates team is at age-wise. So that's about where the Pirates are going to get through Reynolds. They're going to have him for his prime. And then, you know, they might look into extending him for a year or two or when he's you know 34 years old they might ship him off at that point but the bottom line is that the majority of Reynolds career is going to be played right here in Pittsburgh and that is ultimately what matters because now you have Reynolds through 2030 possibly another year 2031 Mitch Keller is going to be Extended here very shortly. It's only a matter of time, especially if he continues to pitch the way he does. Key Brian Hayes, last season signing a nine-year extension. So he's covered through the rest of this decade. O'Neal Cruz hasn't signed anything yet. But again, you feel like when he comes back from his injury, that at some point that long-term contract will be signed. So you have Cruz, Reynolds, Hayes, and Keller all getting locked up, I would say with 100% confidence within the next year that Keller and Cruz will also be locked up on long-term extensions. And that is positive because it shows the Pirates are not only trying to contend in the near future, but they're trying to extend that contention window for as long as possible by locking up their core players on very long contracts and that is something that pirates fans have been arguing for pushing for for quite a long time and you know when the press conference was held with brian reynolds general manager ben Charrington, and owner bob nutting i mean nutting said right then and there in that press conference you know they're not done extending players they're not done signing players to long-term extensions and so To me, that shows not only is Bob Nutting trusting Ben Charrington here, but it also shows now the Pirates are in a position where they felt like they have gone about things the right way. You know, that little time frame between when the Pirates won 98 games in 2015 to when Bob Nutting cleaned house at the end of 2019, that was essentially a dead period for the Pirates. They weren't the team that was going to contend, but they weren't in a fully committed rebuild either. So in a way, you're now seeing Bob Nutting say, OK, we have committed to a rebuild for three years now. This is the time to take, take that step forward. This is the time to show we're going to push to be a contender. And it's unfortunate that this did not happen After 2015, you know, the pirates could have torn things down then completely started that rebuild. So then, you know, maybe this contention window, instead of starting, you know, whether it be 2023 or possibly 2024, this window could have started three years ago, two years ago. And then it could have been prolonged even more. So now you're looking at a contention window, perhaps of seven to eight years when Had they torn down as soon as they won 98 games, if they did not want to continue building, then that contention window may be 10, 11 years. And that might not seem like much of a difference, but all it takes is that one extra year. And that one extra year could be the difference between winning or not even making it back to the world series or finding a way to bring that sixth world series championship to Pittsburgh. And I'm going to be completely honest here. When this season started, I never thought that on April 28th, we'd be sitting here talking about the Pirates contending. Never thought we'd be sitting here talking about the Pirates leading the NL Central and being 10 games over 500 for the first time since 2015. Never thought the Pirates would be nine and one in their last 10 games. I mean, this mark for the Pirates and this early portion of the season has just truly been incredible. And, you know, everyone is trying to downplay it, you know, with the Pirates haven't played any one good narrative. Let me see here. The Reds. Okay. They're not the best team. The Pirates ultimately lost that opening series. The Red Sox standings wise, aren't that good right now, but they went to Fenway park and a stadium that is generally one of the most difficult to play in and swept the Red Sox. They come back home. They take two of three from the White Sox. They lose one series to Houston, who is the reigning World Series champion. And in that series, they even took one of those three games. They go on the road to Bush Stadium to take on St. Louis. And again, a historically difficult venue one that the pirates have been notorious for struggling in come out of st louis with a split sweep the rockies on the road come home sweep the reds and then take two of three from the dodgers i mean at what point are you going to sit there and realize the pirates are truly legitimate the pirates can't dictate who's on their schedule the pirates can't dictate who their next series is against they play who's scheduled to be in PNC Park, or they play wherever they're scheduled to be. You know, and you're going to sit there and say, well, they've only played one real team in the Astros, and that was the series they lost. So what, you're saying the Dodgers aren't a real team just because they have a few players out right now? That's baseball. That's professional sports. You either accept who you have and make the most of it, or you find excuses, and that's what the Dodgers are doing right now. And major league baseball fans in general they're finding excuses to silence pirates fans and they're finding excuses to put push darkness on a very positive situation nobody knows how long the pirates are going to be able to keep this up nobody knows it may end within a month it may be two months it might be their annual post all-star game collapse nobody knows but while we're here Let's enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Let things go on the way that they have. This is a very fun baseball team to watch. The pitching has been incredible. Again, words I never thought I would utter here on April 28th. As Rich Hill has been very good. Vince Velazquez has been good. The bullpen has been pretty dominant. I mean, David Bednar looks like one of the best closers in all of baseball. And not that that wasn't known before this season, but the way that he is performing now is just making things even better. You know, McCutcheon is looking like the McCutcheon of old. Carlos Santana is showing to be a strong veteran clubhouse leader, but also performing on the field. And so, again, just enjoy things the way they are right now. Let the Buccos be the Buccos. And when things start to fall off, if that ever happens, Then we can find things to talk about as far as criticism. But for now, just let it ride. Sit back, kick your feet up, get your favorite snack and drink and turn on AT&T Sportsnet every night and watch the hottest team in the National League right now and the second best team in all of baseball only trailing the Tampa Bay Rays. You are listening to the Three Rivers Talk Show here on the Bethany Online Radio. When we return, it is... NFL Draft Talk the rest of the way, as I'll be joined by Steelers reporter from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Brian Batko, coming up here in just a few minutes on the Bethany Online Radio. Back here on the Three Rivers Talk Show, talking all things with the NFL draft, joined by Steelers Pittsburgh Post Gazette reporter Brian Batco. Brian, welcome to the show and thank you for being here this afternoon. Hey, no problem, Drew. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So, biggest storyline a lot of surprises last night in the draft, you know, whether it be trades made by teams or players selected that you didn't really expect to be taken what would you say was the biggest surprise in your eyes from round one
1: yeah i mean that's the thing even going into this draft i think a lot of people um nationally and certainly i agreed with that uh was to expect the unexpected and yet uh still did not anticipate you know two running backs going in the top 12 did not anticipate a guy like jack campbell from iowa going 18th overall to the lions and you know, really didn't foresee somebody like Christian Gonzalez, so you know, not just making it past the Steelers, but sliding all the way down to their original pick of 17. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's the kind of year where there's so much depth and, and so much drop off from, you know, the first five or six prospects to the next wave and then another drop off after that. So I think that made it for some, some pretty wild scenarios last night, and uh, I don't think anybody out there is long trapped in
0: So you mentioned, you know, as everyone knows at this point, the Steelers moving up three spots, coughing up that extra fourth-rounder to the Patriots, grabbing Broderick Jones as the third offensive tackle off the board. I mean, you could sit there and say the tape speaks for itself, but what specifically about Jones made him appealing and then appealing enough to move up three spots for him? The tape speaks
1: for itself. No, I'm just kidding, guys. (laughs) I think, uh... I think he's got a high ceiling and, and so there weren't a ton of guys like that in this draft as I just sort of mentioned you know the, the floor ceiling uh is always something that GMs purchase at the way uh when you're doing your draft prep and you know very few starts for him relatively speaking at Georgia but he did do it all last season so he's a little bit of a one-year wonder in that way but I think Yeah, you know,
0: And you mentioned specifically, you know, left tackle filling in. Arguably, at this point, slotting in on the depth chart ahead of Dan Moore. I mean, it hasn't been released yet, but, I mean, it's only a matter of time before you see Broderick Jones at starting left tackle. Do you also see maybe that pick of Jones putting some pressure on Chooks for knowing that Broderick Jones could easily switch over to the right side if needed?
1: And Dan Moore could potentially switch over to the right side too if they want to give him. A little bit of runway in that position battle. I mean, I think it is going to be essentially three guys competing for two spots. And so, while Chuks Okorfor has maybe a little bit more reliability and obviously experience on his side, um, the financials are not on his side. He is going to be a very high-priced player uh, as soon as this year, but certainly next season. So uh, he does want to be here for the long haul, and he's still a relatively young man, despite going into year six in the league. You know, when they drafted him. As a project type of tackle on Western Michigan in the third round, he was—I want to say—he was only 20 or just turned 21, so he's even younger than Jones is now. But um, I mean, yeah, that contract that they gave him, back-loaded as the Steelers tend to do with those big deals. So I mean, he's going to have to hold up his end of the bargain. And uh, you know, it's a three dogs for two bones situation, as I'm sure uh, how, how Mike Tomlin uh, will point to all those guys when they arrive and, and certainly when things heat up in the throat.
0: And you mentioned as well Christian Gonzalez falling to the Steelers' original pick at 17. When Omar Khan made that decision to jump to 14, was there any consideration from what you've heard about it being Christian Gonzalez or was it Broderick Jones' full throttle? I mean, it's hard
1: to say. I don't really know. There obviously was interest for them in Gonzalez with the fact that they brought him in for a pre draft visit. I think we all expect them to go corner early and maybe even often in the rest of these uh, these six rounds. So, I mean, I do still think they'll be targeting that position. And in the 2023 draft, if you were targeting that position, Gonzalez had to be high on your radar. So um, I think ultimately it it made more sense for them to get the tackle. Because there's not, like I said at the top, there's really not many tackles in that top tier this year. Whereas I think there's more depth, um, both in terms of cornerback types, but also talent. Uh, Down through the later rounds, and maybe that's another reason why they thought the value was in Jones, and if they were going to trade up for one, it it would be him over any of the corners.
0: And then in that preseason or the press conference last night after selecting Jones, Mike Tomlin had mentioned about possibly not being done, and they were considering possibly trying to trade back into the later portion of the first round. They ultimately did not. Do you see that as more of just the Steelers doing their due diligence or was there somebody that was on their short list and then got got selected and then that kind of changed their course of action?
1: I'm probably just doing their due diligence. Nobody really jumps out to me in the ensuing 16 or 17 picks that I feel like, wow, the Steelers wanted that guy and then he went off the board and they didn't want to move up anymore. I, I think it was just a matter of, hey, if the right field strikes us, Sort of like the deal that they swung for the Jones pick, uh, that they wouldn't turn their back on it. And that's what I think you're going to get out of Omar Khan and Tomlin himself acknowledged that last night, that he is aggressive as a general manager, or at least he has been so far and is being so in this first draft that he's running. And uh, that, that's where I think you can see a lot of these kind of, uh, you know, quote unquote minor trades where you're just, uh, you know, just following the value and getting the most out of it. I give him credit for uh, moving up a few spots to get the guy they wanted, but a nominal amount of compensation to do so.
0: We're talking to Pittsburgh Post Gazette Steelers reporter Brian Batco right here on the Three Rivers talk show. You mentioned Omar Khan being much more aggressive in just his first draft as Steelers general manager. Do you see that in part being, you know, a transition? That's a key difference from the Kevin Colbert era where, you know, the the NFL is constantly changing and now Omar Khan's just trying to catch the Steelers up to where everyone else was in the league, given that Colbert was generally complacent with not trading draft picks, especially moving up? Yeah, I mean, I think that's
1: a decent way to look at it. I wouldn't say that Colbert wasn't uh, comfortable with doing those things. He did take some bigger swings, trading up for Devin Bush, and Trading of, of first, of course, for Meghan Fitzpatrick. So you know, we should give him give him some credit for making some of those moves. That if Omar Khan would have done it, we'd be saying, "Oh, wow, he's really doubled for mm-hmm. it." So, um, so Culver did some of that, but I just think that generally speaking, and I, I assume Culver would probably agree with this too. It, it's inherently true that Khan is a more modern NFL general manager. He has you know, seen the way this league has grown through a more uh, you know more recent lens. He came up. In the league through a different way than Colbert. He obviously has more of a, you know, numbers and analytical background than Colbert did at a long-time old-school scout type of GM. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to do some things differently. Not all of it is going to be uh, visible to us on the outside. Who knows what they're doing behind the scenes differently? But, um, yeah, I mean, I just think you know, like, until we get a better feel for Khan and, and how he's going to run things, you just kind of have to uh, expect the unexpected. I'll use that term again uh, because I think most of the NFL teams at this point are uh, are kind of hard to pin down with what they're doing in the draft these days. And so it's pretty good about not leaking out. And as we saw with Will Levis, D.J. Stroud, those types of guys, sometimes the stuff that does leak out isn't any good. So mm-hmm. uh, they played their cards close to the best, um, I definitely tip my cap to them for that. And.
0: Along the lines of, as you said, expect the unexpected, there has been a lot of talk today you know, heading into day two of the draft about that 30-second overall pick the Steelers have. Do you see the trade possibly happening, or is it more or less the Steelers, again, doing their due diligence and knowing, in the back of their mind, we can have our cream of the crop as far as players still left, possibly even ones we didn't expect to slip out of the first round? I'm 50-50 on that, because you know, going into the draft, I would have told you, yeah, I feel like common sense tells us they're definitely going to be very interested in Joey Porter
1: Jr. I mean, we heard all about the familiarity last year when they took Kenny Pickett and, and how knowing him so well made them comfortable to make that choice. Now, I guess that can be a double-edged sword. You could be very familiar with a player and not be comfortable with him for that reason. Uh, I think Kevin Colbert even said at that pressure last year that sometimes they found themselves discounting hit guys because they're so close to the situation. And maybe they hear uh, everything. Like, you know, the flaws in addition from the strengths. Joey Porter Jr. is not a pick guy, but of course arguably even closer to the Steelers organization. So all that said, I think, you know, I also went into this draft expecting they would try to use that 30-second pick
0: And then, I mean, you also have to consider, you know, maybe the Steelers hold on to 32 and then trade away 49. Is that something that you could very much see being on the table as well? Or is, that more, is it more of those, one of those things where if they don't trade 32, they're not going to trade back at all?
1: We talk about all the kind of uh, maneuvering on the back end, uh, just playing the draft board. We kind of forget you also need to draft good players. So uh, that's kind of where Andy Weidel and Tomlin in the scouting department come in. But in terms of his job and, uh, you know, putting the right amount of value out of picks and moving around and putting yourself in position to get those guys that you need to be good players, uh, I think Omar Khan is doing very, very well for himself thus far.
0: And then one last question here for you, Brian. You mentioned Joey Porter Jr. being what would, uh, what would be considered as the obvious pick for the Steelers at 32. But is there anyone else that you could potentially see being on the Steelers' shortlist? Maybe someone along the lines of Brian Branch or possibly maybe another position on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I
1: think Brian Branch is right up there if you're going to keep with the I, – I can't really see them. Drafting another corner over Porter Jr. at this point. I mean, that'd be very very surprising to me, given the connections and the ties there, and also just kind of the consensus ranking from the grades that most of the NFL world has on these guys. So if it's not another corner, uh, I'd say Branch is up there because of this versatility. But then also, you start to look at some of the lineman slash edge defender types. A few who jump out to me there are Gianu Benton from Wisconsin, Gian White. And then the one that's not getting as much buzz, but I can see the Steelers liking him, is Tuli Tui Pelotu from USC. Uh, they brought him in for a pre-draft visit. And maybe I just wanted to challenge myself to pronounce
0: that name here. <laughs> I mean, you would you pronounced it a lot better than I would have, that's for sure. I would have had to sit there and look at it as I'm trying to say it. But, I mean, you said it best. You know, plenty of options on the table aside from Joey Porter Jr. being the consensus for the Steelers at 32. That'll do it for us here. Brian, once again, thank you for your time, and best of luck with the rest of your draft coverage. No problem, you, Drew. Thank you again. And there you have it. Pittsburgh Steelers reporter for the Post-Gazette, Brian Batko, right here on the Three Rivers talk show. We'll step aside here briefly and return for some final thoughts on that discussion along with the rest of the draft ex- and expectations for the Steelers on the Three Rivers talk show. and Benton and I just, I looked BJ and BJ Laurie is the worst close mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. 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 it something mm-hmm. I said, is something I did? did? my words not come out right? Mm-hmm. No, I try mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to hurt you. No try. But mm-hmm. I guess that's why mm-hmm. 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 the mm-hmm. so oh, right like, that. Can we cut it to like Ten minutes Just like a like, Yeah, sure that's like a it's gone. <laughs> yeah. Just like every cowboy sings a sound, say it's so okay. every rose Has it's done. See here on the Three Rivers Talk Show, one last brief segment discussing what you just heard from Pittsburgh Post-Gazette insider Brian Batko, along with just some general thoughts about the Steelers' rest of the draft. You know, you heard Batko talk a lot about Roderick Jones and his ability on that left side of the ball more or less hinting that, you know, it might be Dan Moore Jr. who's on the chopping block as far as losing his starting spot, but also Chuk Socorafor has a pretty pricey contract in the back end of his deal. So they may take the cheaper option, free up some salary cap space, and send Dan Moore over to the right tackle in an effort to possibly try and bring down the asking price on Chuk Socorafor if and when he hits free agency. You know, you can justify that by saying, well, he's not playing. So his contract is going to be manipulated to the point where he gets less in return. And yes, that is in a way a messed up scenario, but it is a legitimate reality of the NFL and professional sports in general. We also talked about, you know, the Steelers, whether or not they were going to move on from that 30 two spot here leading things off in round one. Personally, I do not see the Steelers moving on from pick 32. They are salivating at the thought of Joey Porter Jr. still being there. If Porter Jr. wasn't there, if Branch wasn't there, they may consider moving back and recouping some picks to improve the number that they have. But with those two sitting there still, who are more than likely going to be taken early in the second round, Without a doubt, we expected to go last night in the opening round. I mean, it's a dream come true and one that is too good for the Steelers to ultimately pass up. So I think the Steelers will hold Pat, take their pick at 32. Whether or not they move on from 49 is a different question. You know, you heard Brian talk about Mike Tomlin saying they didn't want to trade any day two picks. So that means they may hold on to 49 as well it may be that 80th pick in the third round that they ultimately concede and try to recoup you know maybe a fourth rounder or a second fifth and a second sixth I mean anything is possible the NFL draft is like all drafts chaotic in a way that you know makes it fun for the fans but also makes it fun for the teams because there's so many moving parts so if I had to if I had to create my game plan at this point for the Steelers. Joey Porter Jr. at 32. At 49, I would say you have to go inside linebacker because the Steelers need help there defensively. Yes, they made two free agent signings earlier in the offseason at that position, but it is still nowhere near the quality that the position should be. And I think going out and bringing in somebody like Trenton Simpson from Clemson would be a great opportunity there for the Steelers to bolster that linebacker position. And then if they hold on to pick 80, at that point my dream scenario would be best player available, whether it's a defensive tackle, whether it be a receiver. I know the Steelers brought in Allen Robinson to be their third wide receiver behind Pickens and Deontay Johnson. But you know, the Steelers love to draft their receivers. And especially with this class being so deep at the wide receiver position, the Steelers, they may take their chance on a guy with that 80th spot, or maybe in the early stages of day three tomorrow. So there is a lot of uncertainty out there. And Don't be surprised if at some point on day three, I'm just going to throw this out there now. Don't be surprised on day three if you don't see the Steelers draft a quarterback. And I'm saying that because, yes, Mitch Trubisky is there still, but there's nobody right now behind Mitch Trubisky. They are going to need some late round rookie to be that third string quarterback. And you might be questioning why you would waste a draft pick on a third string quarterback, you know, just sign him as an undrafted free agent. But the bottom line is that the Steelers, they're not going to want to take that chance of hoping somebody goes undrafted because teams are using late round picks on quarterbacks all the time that they expect to be career backups. I mean, there's one in particular who was taken 23 years ago that was expected to be a career backup out of Michigan and his name is Tom Brady. Now, am I expecting anyone taken in the sixth round of this draft class to be the next Tom Brady? No, absolutely not. All I'm saying is that teams use late-round picks on quarterbacks all the time that are expected to be career backups, and so the Steelers may very well take that similar approach. And Mitch Trubisky is only under contract for this 2023 season. After that he's hitting free agency again. So unless the Steelers bring him back on a cheaper deal. They are going to need quarterbacks behind Kenny Pickett. So in a way you know you bring somebody in now. As that third string rookie. You develop them for a year and who knows. Maybe next season they move up and they take over Trubisky's spot. And they are Kenny Pickett's backup. And then the Steelers use a similar approach. In taking that other rookie quarterback at the very end of the 2024 draft class. There's so many different routes. The Steelers could go. This is all at this point speculation, and it really could be anybody's guess as to what the Steelers do. That'll do it for us here today on the three rivers talk show. As I mentioned at the beginning, this is in fact the final episode of the three rivers talk show here on the Bethany online radio Whether this was the first time you tuned in, whether you have been listening since September of 2019, I want to take this time and just thank all of you for tuning in at some point along the way, whether it be a lot, a little bit, anything in between, because this is ultimately for you guys, providing a different perspective on Pittsburgh sports coverage, one that you may not necessarily get on a typical radio station or a tv station and so once again i just want to thank you all for tuning in these past four years it has truly been an honor being able to provide sports coverage for all of you one last time here on the three rivers talk show drivon sayo signing off enjoy the rest of your summer everyone